you would, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, for those that are like, man, I really want to give my testimony about why I love my church. And I really want to see that, see some of our church videos. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. You're going you're to watch part of a video today uh, toward the end of my message. And uh, this afternoon will be your opportunity to give your testimony. So come ready, come ready to to, to let it all out, and we want, this is for young and old alike, and uh, we let the kids give testimonies, we let uh, older folks, teenagers, whoever wants to say, here's what God has done in my life through my church, and I am thankful for that, I love my church. Listen, if you love something, you're willing to fight for it. Amen. If you love your marriage, you love your spouse, you ought to be willing to fight, not with them, for them, <laughs> all right? Uh, boy, that was a boo, lead balloon right there. Uh, but you, you, ought to be, you ought to be willing to fight for your marriage because it matters. And not only does it matter to you, it, it matters to God. <laughs> the reason it should matter to you is because it matters to God. And uh, if you love your church, you ought, to, you, ought to, you ought to be committed to it, and you ought to love it, and you ought, to, you ought to talk to people about it. Not because the church is God, far from it, but you know what the church is? It is the only reflection of Jesus the world has in human form at this time. God showed up as a man. He goes, you know what? Now I'm leaving the job to you, and everyone in the world is going to be looking at you to see what, what I'm like. So you matter, amen? And this matters. Church matters to God. Uh, look at Luke chapter number 10. I think it's a story many of you are very familiar with, and uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you, if you're not even familiar with your Bible, uh, have you heard of the Good Samaritan? And uh, we're definitely going to read about this story, and I, I think there's no doubt that the Samaritan is the hero. Uh, but one of the things that I think kind of gets lost in all that's, that goes on in this passage is, is the place that the Samaritan takes the wounded person to. And while we're going to talk about the Samaritan, and we're going to talk about the priest, and we're going to talk about the Levite, we're going to talk about Jerusalem, we're going to talk about Jer- Jericho, and all these different places and people Eventually, I want to talk about the place that the wounded individual that is helped by the Good Samaritan is taken to, because that place matters. I'll look, if you would, at Luke chapter 10, verse number 29. Actually, I'd, I'd refer you to go back to verse number 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. He said to him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and P.S. thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> kind of like, you know, it's kind of snarky, kind of smart alecky, like, oh, okay, then who's my neighbor? And uh, listen, you never need to do that with the Lord. He's going to, he will sit you down and flat preach to you, which is exactly what he does for the next several verses. Look, if you would, at verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, oh boy, you got to understand what's in that verse. The Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. They didn't get along well. The Samaritans, if you study history, they were half Jewish and they were half Assyrian and they were kind of a blended people. And, 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 uh, and so the, the Jews did not like them and they did not like the Jews. And so here Jesus is explaining to this Jewish lawyer, hey, the hero of the story is the last guy you would expect to be the hero of the story. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, that's the innkeeper, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. I want to call your attention back, if I could, just for a moment, to verse number 34, where we find the words toward the end of that verse, And brought him to an inn. And took care of him. I want to talk to you today about why we still need the inn. Why we still need the inn. You may go, what does that mean? We're going to discover what that means here in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Steon if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let me let me say this. Uh, there are some places in the Bible that that really matter to God. And uh, you might remember when the Lord shows up to uh, Israel in the wilderness in Mount Sinai. And you might remember where Abraham offers up his son on Mount Moriah. Uh, you might remember this hill in the New Testament called Calvary. Aren't you glad for a place called Calvary? There are some places that really matter to God. And here's what I've learned about being a Christian is that if something matters to God, it should matter to me. And if God loves something, I should love that thing. And if God hates something, I should hate that thing. And I I try to look at things in life, not just what do I like and what do I prefer, but God, what do you love? And God, what do you hate? And by the way, God does hate some things. If God didn't hate anything, he'd be a perverted God. Amen. There are some things that God hates, and, but, but I know this about the Lord. There are some places in the Bible that really mean something to him. Uh, over there in, in Deuteronomy, it says that his eyes are always upon that land, talking about the land of Israel. That's God's uh, uh, land that he gave to that nation, and his eyes are always on that land. What, what a statement about how God thinks and how God operates and, and what matters to God. 
There's no doubt that, that Israel matters to God. Can I tell you something else that matters to God in 2022? It, it's, not the, it's not as much, listen, there's nothing wrong with 4-H, and there's nothing wrong with future farmers of America, and there's nothing wrong with your kid's peewee baseball team, but I'm going to tell you right now, God's eyes are not always on that. You know what matters to God in 2022? The local church matters to God. The place you can bring sinners to get restored, that matters to God. You know what God's watching more than he cares about? Whatever's going on in the drama of this world and and on social media, God's looking on the side of a bank and going, man, I wonder what they're going to do with the word of God. How are they going to respond? Will they harden their heart? Will they soften their heart? Will they receive it? Will they do something with it? Why? Because that's what matters to God. God's not worried about who's going to win the football game. And God's not worried about, listen, he's also not even worried about the economy. Someone asked me, Is the economy, are we headed for a recession? Listen, all I know is this. When you spend money like a drunken sailor, eventually it runs out. I can tell you that much about Western society. That much I can tell you. I don't know, but I know this much. God's not worried about that. Some of you are so, listen, you're talking to someone who runs a business. You say you should care about that. If God's in charge, I got to let it happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know what matters to me more than that? What matters is what's going on right here. Why? Because this matters to God. The, the reason why that we should care about our church and, and love our church is because it's a place that God looks at and God himself reveres. Now, there are two kinds of people, I've learned this a long time ago, that ask questions. There are those that ask questions because they want an answer, and there are those that ask questions because they want to tell, make a statement. And in this story, this lawyer is trying to make a statement. Who then is my neighbor? And the Lord goes, hey, let me talk to you about this. Uh, Let me tell you about what a good neighbor is like. And and what I'm I'm getting at is this. The Lord gives him some places and some people to look at. Uh, Look at verse 30. Verse 30, in trying to explain what a good neighbor is, he says this in verse 30, a certain man went down. You know what that reminds me of? You are born in innocence. Your baby, oh, that little young lady, oh, she's beautiful. Oh, I tell you what, and little baby Max, he's beautiful. But do you know what happens when you don't give them what they want? It's like baby Jack-Jack. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, explosions. You say what? Because they're human. Because they have a sinful nature. They're born in innocence. But man, it doesn't take long in life for things to go down. The Bible says a certain man went where? He went down. He was going from Jerusalem, a place of blessing. You come into this life with innocence, with a clean mind, a pure heart, and it doesn't take long for things to go down. That's the story of all mankind. Who is this man? He's all of us. That's who we are as sinners. We all go down. And the Bible says he was in Jerusalem, a place of God's blessing. And in verse 30, the Bible says he fell among thieves. You say, what is that? Boy, it's just a reminder that everything that's good in life, there's something out there to want to destroy that which is good. That which God has made pure and holy and clean, the world wants to steal and to defile. Does it not say that the thief cometh but for to kill and to steal and to destroy? That's what the thieves are. They are things that rob you of your purity and of your innocence and of your holiness as a person that needs to be connected to God. That's where we are in life today. Every single soul on this planet needs Jesus Christ. Because you know what? It doesn't matter your culture, your socioeconomic status, your race, whatever else. I'll tell you what matters. You are a sinner. You have a need. You cannot be made right with God on your own. You needed a sinless sacrifice to step in your place. Thank God for Jesus Christ. But a certain man went down from Jerusalem, traveling to Jericho. You know what Jericho is? It's a picture of a a place of commerce. 
Uh, Jericho is a, a, a business place. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of this world. It's a picture of going out and trying to make it in life and having expectations and having goals, which are not bad, by the way, and having this idea that, man, this is where I'm going to go in life. How many of you had an idea where you're going to go in life and it didn't work out that way? Anybody? And I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make a big name for myself and I'm going to, you know what the world does? It chews you up and it spits you out. You know, if you don't believe that, look at Hollywood. The people they make gods out of one year, the next year they're ridiculing and they're getting rid of them. Like a discarded piece of trash. Aren't you thankful God doesn't treat you that way? (laughs) The, The Bible says this man went down and he fell among thieves that stripped him. And in verse 31, it shows us a priest that walked by that way. What did that priest do for that man? He looked at him and he passed by on the other side. Can I say this? Religion can't help you. The Bible says in the very next verse, in verse 32, that another man, a Levite, a picture of the law, he came and looked on him, and the Bible says he also passed by on the other side. It's almost like looking at this man that was uh, wounded and, and bloody and, and dirty and stripped of his clothes, and he's a mess, and he's, he's moaning and he's groaning. There's nothing of value in that man as you look at him. There, no one says, man, this guy is a great treasure. Let's do something with him. They walk by, religion walks by, and the law walks by and says, I can't do anything with that. That that man's broken. That's as much as I can do. I can tell you he's messed up. Isn't that what the law does? The law shows you you are broken, that you're messed up, but the law can't fix you. But then this Samaritan comes by. This man that the world looks at and they make fun of and they go, oh, he's just a dead Jewish carpenter. Buddy, he ain't dead. And you know what he built when he died on that cross? He built the greatest thing a carpenter could ever build. He built a bridge to heaven when he hung there. And let me tell you something. If he was dead, you wouldn't have the people in this room. Stop for a moment. Look around. Look, I'm serious. Look around you. We are all very different. Different colors of hair. Some more hair. Some less hair. Amen. All right. All right. So uh, th- those that are older, those that are younger, those that are black, those that are white, those that are Hispanic. And you know what? Listen, in, in God's economy, you're all sinners saved by the grace of God. That's all that matters with God. But what I'm trying to say is this. What in the world would unite a group like this outside of a risen Savior? <laughs> you tell me, what would unite us, guys? I'll tell you right now, absolutely nothing. I don't have enough in common with the people in this room to, to say, man, I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to pray for you. I want to look out for you. I want to be your family. The only reason any of this works is because of the Samaritan that showed up. The Samaritan was the outcast. But I'm glad, (laughs) I'm glad when he saw me there in my sin, he didn't go, not worth it. Before Nancy got saved, she asked me, can I be worthy of God's love? You know what the answer is? We can't be worthy, but he thought we were worth it. The answer is, none of us are worthy of God's love and of his mercy. That's what makes grace so astounding. Because the way you work with each other, let's be honest about it, is when you do something bad to me, I'm going to do something bad to you. And you cross me, I'll cross you. And you know what? You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my grace. You don't deserve my... I'm thankful that God saw me where I was, broken. And let me tell you, man, I did not come from a family of preachers. I came from a family of generation after generation after generation of drunken Roman Catholics that did not understand what it meant to be saved. And I'm not saying that you, if you're Catholic, you're lost. But I know this much. I was. 
And I did not know what it meant to be saved. I am thankful that when I was broken in my sin, Jesus Christ stopped and all of heaven stopped. And he said, you know what? I can do something with that. The world didn't see any value in me. The world wanted to discard me. You know what the world says? If you can look beautiful and you can throw a ball or you can sing, or you can, we'll accept you for a time. And when you're old and saggy and broken, we don't want you. I am thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful he stopped. I'm thankful he picked me up. But I'm furthermore thankful for this. He did not leave me out there. He took me somewhere. He took me to an end. Look at verse 34. The Bible says, there he went to him. Aren't you glad he came to you? Aren't you glad he didn't go, hey, whenever you reach this pinnacle of spirituality, then I'll save you. I'm so thankful he didn't work that way. I'm so thankful that the Lord said, look, you're never going to reach my perfection. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to wait on you to come to me. I'm going to go to where you're at. Thank God for that. Knowing everything, knowing all the sin, all the dirt. You know what happens sometimes when you get married? You live with someone long enough. I say marriage and all of a sudden say, whoa, 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 what are you going to say? You're married to someone long enough. You know the dirt. Oh, do you know the dirt? And you know which buttons to push right there you know you know how to get them to respond and you know how to ignore them a certain way that gets them even more mad you know and if you're married to a latino person everything's very exciting and lots of flair you know and you know it's just the way that it is right so you know and, and you know what you can do you can know what their problems are you can know how they're broken down and you can see where their failures are and you can hold it over them and god knows everything about you and every time the devil tries to throw it over, he's like, slap that thing down. I took care of that at the cross. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for that? A certain Samaritan came to him where he was. and The Bible says that he poured in two elements. He poured in oil and wine. Now, before you go off, and I know some of you are like looking, see, that wine's in the Bible. Let's go drinking. I know some of you are real excited about that verse. Calm down. There's a difference between old wine and new wine. That's the first thing I'm going to say about that, and that's the last thing I'm going to say about that because that's a, a different message for a different time. But he pours in oil and wine. That oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, God put the Spirit of God inside of you. That way, even when you do mess up and you do mess up, amen, 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 that when you do mess up, there's someone inside that goes, that's not a good idea. Let's think about this differently. Let's not say that. Let's not look at that. Let's go in this direction instead. Let's not manipulate. Let's not try to justify what we're doing and blame God for my tendencies. You know, people do that all the time. Even saved people do that, amen? Well, the Lord knows it's just the way I was born. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is telling you, stop it, and you don't listen. But you've got a fighting chance because he's inside of you. And he comes to when he pours in that oil. And he takes that wine, that medicine, he pours it in those wounds. And that man gurgles on his own saliva from the beating and the internal bleeding and from the, the bruising that he got, maybe the collapsed lung. That Samaritan picks up that man. He's a bloody, filthy mess. And I don't care if you got saved at five or if you got saved at 50. If you got saved at five, you go, well, I was in the blood. I didn't get in all that bad sin. Then you know what God did? God saved you from ever having to go down that road. And if you got saved at 50, you, you got some scars internally, maybe even externally, where you go, you know what? I, that, I don't want to remember that because that's not who I am anymore. But thank God I'm not there anymore. You know what that man did? He took, went down and he poured in that oil and that wine. He said, what's that wine? A picture of 
the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, through his blood, I now am saved. In whom he have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He pours in that Holy Spirit, pours out his blood he shed for our sins. And he goes, you know what? We can do this. I can help you. And he takes that man and he puts me on his shoulder and he puts me on his beast of burden. And I say, I can't pay for this. That's okay. I got it. I got it covered. Don't worry about it. It's almost like when you go out with a friend and you're like, oh, I left my wallet right? Man's been doing that for 2,000 years. Like, Lord, I don't, Lord's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. I've got the bill covered. I will pay for this. Don't worry about it. You just sit there. I'll get you somewhere that you will be restored and where you can be healed and where you can start life all over again. You say, what's that place? It's an inn in the Bible, but you know what that inn's a picture of? It's a picture of a local church. Maybe it's on the side of a bank. And maybe sometimes on Sunday, you got a line of five ladies waiting to get to the bathroom. Because no one has yet told them there's more bathrooms downstairs. But it's still an inn. And it's still God's inn. This, this morning, we were coming in, and I had my boys help me bring donuts in. You know, he's going to meet with the guys, and have a word of prayer, move some tables and some stuff for this afternoon. And, and, uh, and they said, uh, uh, Preston goes, uh, Ethan, we got to take these in the house. He goes, uh, not the house. I said, no, no, you can call it the house. Just, let's just call it God's house. I know some of you are ultra dispensational. You're going to correct me on that and tell me, well, the house of God's your body and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you got a bunch of mobile homes, that's what you are spiritually. You are God's mobile home. Amen, amen. You think real high of yourself, just remember, you're a trailer for Jesus. And when you got a bunch of trailers for Jesus, you know what you got? you got an RV park right now. That's what you got right now. An RV park for Jesus. That's where you are. Park for just a moment, long enough to get fed spiritually, to get filled up, and then go out and make a difference in this world. But you know what this is nonetheless? It's God's RV park. It's God's inn. I could point out all the people in this story, but I'd be remiss if I did not mention the fact that after which time this man was ministered to out in the open field, that field being a picture of the world, that man was not just left there. Listen, when people get saved, they're not supposed to just be left out there. They're supposed to be brought somewhere. And I've got news for you. I got news for you. God didn't bring them. Listen to me. I appreciate focus on the family primarily because I like adventures in Odyssey. I'm going to tell it myself. All right? I like Uncle Whitaker and all that kind of stuff. I love, if you don't know what that is, some of you weren't raised in church like adventures in what? Adventures are not, don't worry about that. But listen, you know what he did not do? He did not take, no, let's go to a focus on the family convention. Are you hearing me? He didn't say, hey, let's go to Promise Keepers. He said, let's go to an inn, a place of stability where you will have to go over and over and over to be healed and to be restored and to be filled up. And guess what? I will pay the tap. All you got to do is get there. That's why we still need the inn. It matters to God. Can I remind you, look at, look at verse 37. You know what Jesus says to this man? Go and do thou likewise. So what did this man do? Well, he took care of the man where he was, but he didn't leave him there. He brought him somewhere. And that inn is a picture of, of your local church and the host of that inn. Can I, can I point out to you that host in verse 35? That innkeeper is you. <laughs> it's you. Let me ask you a question. How, how, how would my church be if everyone acted just like me? <laughs> the hormones are causing some issues right now. 
I'll pay for that later. <clears throat> Anyways, <laughs> let me ask you this. Does it matter to you like it matters to God? Right. You know, I've learned casual ties produce casualties. Yeah. You're like, well, it's just kind of like, yeah, I go there sometimes. I mean, just, you know, whatever. You know, I, I'll tell you what, if you've been here for three years, please never say, Pastor Adrian, I love your church. This is your church. Amen. I love my church. You know why? Because this is where I got healing. This is where I got restored. This is where I got fed. You know, for this man that was healed, I guarantee you, whenever he's telling the story, and he goes, let me tell you what happened. I was out by myself. I was left for dead. As a matter of fact, I was half dead. Uh, and that, listen, by the way, before we got saved, that's what you were. You were half dead. You were physically there, but you weren't there. I've seen people come to church, and man, you can see it. They're not saved. They're not connected to God. And it's almost like they're there, but they're not there. You know what you were before you were saved? You were half dead, physically alive, spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm, I guarantee you, as that man retold this story probably more than once, it was probably not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But he said, let me tell you what happened to me when I was left for dead. I guarantee you, every time someone mentioned a Samaritan and they started talking bad about a Samaritan, he would step up and say, shut your mouth. There was a Samaritan that saved my life. You talk bad about my Savior, I'm going to say something. You know why? Because that man saved my soul and he saved my life. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I guarantee that that, that that man that got healed would oftentimes recount and retell that story. And he would not leave out. He would not ignore the fact that the Samaritan did not just leave him out there. The act of compassion is not alone picking up the man and pouring in the oil and pouring in the wine. But rather after that, going the second mile and taking that man and bring him into a place where he can be found rested. Look with me if you would at Acts chapter 2. We'll take a little quick trip through the book of Acts, shall we? Acts chapter 2. You know what it says in Timothy? But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I don't know. It kind of sounds to me like it matters to God. Kind of sounds like the church is a big deal. Kind of sounds like God cares about this a lot more than sometimes we do as modern Christians. The pillar and ground of the truth. Look at Acts chapter 2. Just a, a quick trip to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Look if you would at verse number 46. Acts chapter 2 verse 46. And they continuing daily. Oh my goodness, pastor. We got Brother Peacock coming on Monday. We got Brother Peacock coming on Tuesday. We got Brother Peacock coming on Wednesday. You want us in church four days? Listen, how many nights were you at the bar before you got saved? How many nights were you watching stuff you shouldn't watch? How many nights were you just ruining your life? I think four days ain't all that bad. <laughs> Especially when you can get rest restoration out of it and God can speak to you and minister to you. Yes, it will take some planning, but God can do something through that. Look what it says here. It says that they're continuing daily Imagine that. Guys, we're going to a seven-day uh, church schedule. All right? I guarantee you the numbers would dwindle down over a couple of days. Can I get a witness? Some of you are real scared and real nervous, like, Pastor is going to start a new cult, you know, and we're going to be here seven days a week. Cal calm down. It's not what we're talking about. But you know what the early church did? They met every day. You say, why? Because... They were the off-scouring of the world. Once they took on the identity of Jesus Christ, nobody else wanted them. You live in a society where you can kind of slither by and kind of make by and kind of fit in. And, but let me tell you something, it's not like that everywhere. And there's coming a day where it may not be that way here. You know, I'm convinced of 2020 was a test run. You know what happened in 2020? They said, 
you're not going to go to church. And if you do go to church, we're going to label you as a grandma killer. Because if you go to church, you must not care for the health of other people, which kind of blows my mind. You've been aborting babies for like the last 50 years, and now all of a sudden you're worried about people's health. I mean, oh, let's go another step further. Let's go, let's, let's take that aside, because it's real political. Let's take that aside. So you're telling me, all of a sudden you're worried about health, but while everybody's sick with all this COVID stuff, you want to get them shot up, but you won't want to tell them, hey, go outside and get some fresh air. I don't know. Move a little for the love of God. Make your lungs work. They didn't say that. Just, hey, we'll give you some donuts if you take the shot. How about that? That makes sense. You live in a whacked out world, people. <laughs> you do. But you know what I think about? I think about back then two years ago. I remember, and I will never let this die. I remember watching somebody online get berated by one of their friends for saying, you went to church, don't you know what's going on right now? I'm, I, I said to myself, shut up, lady. You won't go to church when you were healthy. Don't use this as an excuse. All of a sudden, you're going to go, oh, no, you really care. You really worried about health? All right, get rid of drugs in America. Bars and strip clubs stayed open and pot places stayed open and churches were closed? You, and you think somehow this is going to be okay in the end? It's not going to work out well. And let me say this as well. For those that were like, no, I'm going to stand for my America. Some of those same people are like, I'm going to stand for my rights. I'm going to church. After COVID was done, they're not in church anymore. Why was it? Because the government was telling you couldn't do it. Now you wanted to do it all of a sudden? How about this? How about we just put up a sign saying, don't go to church. Sign, Uncle Sam. Maybe that makes people come to come to church. I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. 2020 was a test run. And some of you felt pressure from family and friends not to go, didn't you? Didn't you? Yes, you did. And they made you feel wrong for going to church. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. For the love of God, don't preach to me. We had this place split up, and you sit back there, and you sit back there, and you do this, and we split up. The, the, anybody remember what that was like? And we had everything set up all weird. For two months, don't tell me, I'll tell you. For two months, we're out in the parking lot preaching to people. The first Sunday, I got the gumption to do it. I'm an idiot. It was 20 degrees, and, and the, the weather's rolling in. Everybody's going, Pastor, are you sure about this? I'm like, bless God, we're going to do it. I got out there, I'm like. <laughs> Someone was like, Pastor, do you want my gloves? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. You know why we did that, though? Because church matters. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter number 5. Acts 5. You know what you're going to find through the book of Acts? The church, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church. Oh, do these people not have jobs? Do they not have lives? Absolutely. You guys act like people in Bible times, they had to feed their families. They had jobs. They had taxes. Jesus paid taxes. So don't look at this like, well, it's 2022. You just don't understand. God understands you need church more than you've ever needed it. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse number 11. And great fear came upon all the what? The church. Man, this is central to the theme of the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. A pivotal point in the book of Acts is this man named Saul who is, who is giving a problem to the church. Look at Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Talking about Stephen and how Stephen was stoned in the last chapter. And at that time there was a great persecution against the what? And, and do, do you notice how over and over, look at verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the what? Church. You see how over and over throughout the book of Acts, the church, the church, the church, why? Because the vehicle that God used to get the gospel out, to carry forth the great commission, to do God's will on this earth, was the church. 
It wasn't your club. It wasn't Promise Keepers. It wasn't Future Farmers of America. It wasn't 4-H. It wasn't your kid's baseball club. It was the local church. I'm not saying those things are all bad, but I'm going to tell you right now, they don't measure up. You know what matters more? Listen, do whatever you want, parents. I'm not saying sports are bad. I like them. I play them. I'm big into them. I think it's great. I think it's great, to, especially you young men, get the tar kicked out of them, and they go, I just can't do it. Shut up. Get back in. Let's go again. I think it's good for them. I really do. I'm not against sports. Don't, listen, don't hear that from me. I am saying this. I would never want my kid to play sports that gets them out of church. Unless you plan on becoming pro and then giving 10% back, don't do it. I'm kidding. That's a joke, people. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? This matters to God. You know what wasn't mentioned in there? The sports of the Romans or the sports of the Greeks. Why? Because those things were their gods. And they become gods in America to the point where you will know the truth and you will deny the truth. You will say, I know I should be in church. I know it matters to God. I know this. But, but what? But what? Tell me. You sit down with God. Look in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Stare in his eyes and say, this is why I didn't think church mattered all that much. You say, preacher, you're saying that because you were a preacher. I wasn't always. God, as my ever-loving witness, asked my wife. I had three jobs at one time. Now, look, if you take this, <laughs> if you run with this and you think, well, pastor, you're preaching against people. They're trying to provide for their families. Look, sometimes you got to be gone. I get it. It is the way that it is. But there's a difference between the ox falling in the ditch and you shoving it in the ditch. You understand? All right, look, there's a, there are times you can't be here. That's life. And you know what? You may have to do some extreme things to make things work for your home. That's life. But I'm going to tell you right now, Man, oh man, I guarantee you this. If you say, God, I want to put you first. I want to put your kingdom first, Matthew chapter 6. I want to put your mission first. God, would you help me do things the way that you see fit? Because I don't want to make this a secondary thing in my life. I want this central to my life. And Lord, I want you central to my life. And I know this much, for you to be central in my life, I got to be in church. There are always exceptional situations. But I can tell you this. Most Christians today are trying to make the exception the rule. Look, it matters to God. The church is central throughout the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Well, preacher, I didn't come to church just to get preached about coming to church. (laughs) Sorry, it's kind of what's happening today. I get it. But I'm trying to remind you why it matters. It's central to the theme of the story in the New Testament. You can't get away. Look, you know what Paul does? 13 of his books are books written to churches. And all through the book of Acts, it's about the church, the church, the church, church. And you're like, well, I can fill it in with this. No, you can't. No, you won't. There is no filling for it. You know why? It's just like salvation. What are you going to fill in salvation with? You see, the church is just as much God's plan for your life as salvation is. Salvation is the first step. That's how you get saved. Then after that, like, where do I go? What do I do in this life? How do I get, how do I know where to move forward? How to move forward? You know what God does? He gives us a vehicle, and I am so, so thankful for this vehicle. I would not be the person that I am today. I've told you this before, and I mean it. Take me out of church for a month. You don't like what you see. Oh, you're the preacher. Surely you can handle it. No, I can't. You know, you, you may think this is, this is a weird thought. May, I don't know if I've ever explained this or not. 
But this does something for me. You know what it does for me? It keeps me accountable. Here I am preaching to you about what's right in your life. You know what that does for me? Boy, you better not be a hypocrite. You better do right because those people are watching you. And I'm thankful for that pressure. That's a good, everyone today's like, I just don't want any pressure. You need pressure. Sometimes you need it to, to grow. Listen, when it comes to weightlifting and training, anything in life that, that, where you want to grow and be better, it takes some pressure in order to advance. You want to advance as a Christian? Jump into your local church. Acts chapter 11, look if you would at verse 26. One of the most central people in the New Testament. You know who he is? The Apostle Paul. Can I remind you, Paul was not always Paul. Paul used to be known as Saul. And uh, Saul was a Christian killer. He was a murderer of Christians. How would you like to have that in your resume when you go to church? Hello, hello, welcome, welcome. Yes, and you are? Oh, my name's Saul. I kill Christians, yes. (laughs) And after Saul gets saved and he meets the Lord, you know what Barnabas does? Look, you don't have 13 books in your Bible. Those books aren't there. If someone doesn't go and seek out this guy named Saul. You know what Saul did? He went back to his hometown after he got saved. I guess maybe to try to witness to his family and friends. It kind of makes sense. You see that pattern in the Bible often. But after Barnabas went and he saw the church in Antioch and what God was doing there, he goes, Someone else needs to be here. You know what Barnabas does? He goes and he seeks out Saul. Look at verse 26. When he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the what? They weren't just hanging out. They got together as a church. The scriptures were opened. Paul was strengthened. And Saul, who eventually we know as Paul, receives some training there and eventually two chapters later leaves that same church and he goes out to preach the gospel and the rest is history and we're here as a result of Paul's ministry some 2,000 years ago. Why? Because someone brought him to church. Does it matter? I think it does. I'll never forget one time there was a guy that talked to me and he said, you know, I hadn't seen him in years. I used to go to church with him when I was in Tennessee, and he was traveling through Colorado, wanted to meet up for coffee. Nice guy, nice guy, saved guy. I'd even say good guy. But I was asking him, I said, hey, man, where are you going to church? Ah, oh, no, I'm not really going. Okay? I said, why not? I don't, just don't believe in that church membership stuff. Nowhere in the Bible it says you have to be a member of a church. Ever heard that before? Here's the best part. I said, what you been up to these days? Join a militia. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Are you a member of that militia? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else find this humorous? Anybody? <laughs> so I don't want to go. I, I'm not going to join a church because allegedly joining a church isn't biblical. So let me go join it. You know what that shows you? People want to belong in something. And God gave you a community in your local church. You know what we say all the time? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) 
You know it's not broke after 2,000 years? The church. And you go, well, we're a mess. The church has always been a mess. Go back to the book of Acts, you'll see that. Acts 5, someone lies about their offering, God kills them. Acts chapter 6, the Hebrews and the Grecians have a racial division, and they're fighting among themselves. Acts chapter 7, one of the leaders gets stoned. I mean, I could go on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we could go on and on about the early. The church has always been a mess because we're sinners, amen? But this is still God's design. So why do we still need the end? Number one, can I say this? It's God's choice. You know, there's some things that God chooses for you. He didn't make you get saved. But he did say this. If you're going to get saved, here's how you're going to do it. And he points to his son, Jesus Christ. You know, you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, look, I'm not going to make you do this, but this is my design. So what God chooses is not always what we choose. Look, if, if I was God, man, no one would be alive right now. First off, that's the first thing. <laughs> would have killed everybody a long time ago, right? I mean, aren't you glad you're not God? Amen. Wake up in a bad mood, they're all dead. Just wipe them all out, you know? You know what? I, I think to myself, if I was God, what would I do? You know, I, I'd spray paint the message in the sky. I'd have angels do this because the people will mess it all up. But God still chose to use people to carry forth his will on this earth. God chose the church. There is no other plan. There's no plan B here, guys. This is what God's design is. When I think about Paul getting saved and getting into a church, it makes sense. Paul wasn't Paul before he got into a church. Paul becomes Paul after he's in church. You understand that? He's still Saul. I would not be who I am without my church family. You know what the Bible says? God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. You know what people say? The church, the idea of the church is outdated. It's imperfect. It's just foolish. I don't get it. Why do you have to go? Because God chose it. Number one is this. God said so. And so God says so. Remember Simon says when you're a kid? Well, Simon didn't say. You remember that game? Well, what did God say? I think somewhere in the Bible there's something about us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And all through the book of Acts, it's the church, the church, the church, all through the book of, uh, uh, all through Paul's books, the church, the church, the church, and then you get to the book of Revelation and God says, come up hither and we're out of here, man. And I can't wait for that day. But until then, the reason this matters and the reason we need this is because God said so. God chose it. God chose Israel to be his elect. God chose to reveal salvation by his son. God chose to save you by grace, not by works. God chose to put his words in a book. Those are choices that God made. And another one of those choices is the church. The Bible says this, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I said this before and I mean it. I'm not an animal lover by nature. I'm way too much of of a pragmatist to be an animal lover. They cost money. They do. You gotta, even when you've got to kill them, they cost. I don't know, that sounds bad. I'm sorry. When you've got to put them down and all that peaceably and gently and, and humanely and all that, when you gotta, that still costs you money. Do you understand? Everything. Oh, but they're my fur babies. Okay, fine. Have your fur babies. But I'm just saying, me, myself, I'm not the guy's like, oh, I need a fur. I don't need a fur baby. I got plenty of real babies. <laughs> Too many of the real babies. <laughs> you know? And so, you know what I think when I think of animals? Ah, cha-ching. Got them out of bed, cha-ching. Got to get their shots, cha-ching. Got to buy them this all-natural, you know, no-filter food. For me, I'm like, man, throw them a potato or a piece of bread. They're good. 
That's how I was raised, I kid you not. And my wife's like, no, but they'll die and look at their coat. doesn't look pretty. I'm like, they're stinky animals. (laughs) But I love my wife. So we have animals. There may be some things about the church you don't like. But if you love God, man, I love the church. You understand? Well, I just don't see why we have to do it that way. I don't see why it matters. I don't. So start with this. We need this place because God said we do. Secondly, can I say this? We need the end because the world still leaves people wounded. You got any wounded people in the house? Anybody ever been wounded spiritually, emotionally? Yeah? I would say this. All of us are. We've all been wounded. I was talking to a preacher about this, and he said, you know, there's something about the second and third and fourth generation of Christians that, that after a while they kind of don't relate as much with people that just got saved. And the reason why is the further you get away from the wounding, the harder it is to remember where you came from. I never want to get so far away from that that I don't remember where I came from. I don't want my kids to grow up in, in so much comfort and so much of a blessed life that they forget that, man, if it wasn't for someone preaching the gospel to my dad and getting my dad, my dad discipled in a church and sent to a Bible school that's attached to a local church, and if it wasn't for that, my life wouldn't be the way that it is right now. I wouldn't have loving parents. They would have busted up a long time ago. I have no, listen to me, I love my wife, but I know this much. If it wasn't for God and the Bible and the local church, I would not have the marriage that I have right now. We would have been done a long time ago you may go well, that's not very romantic you're not living in reality two people that are selfish that want their own way that want their own things that believe their own thing and are stubborn and there's no way they're going to make it without god the holy spirit the bible and responsibility in a church it's needed you need it listen listen you know what though we come in wounded do we not and listen not all the wounds are the same some of your wounds might be because of physical abuse some wounds might be because of emotional abuse. Some because, man, I just got messed up in sin. And if you looked at me and you knew everything that God knows about me, you'd just think I'm a mess. Join the club. We're all a mess. Some of those things are more visible than others. But let me just say this. Sin never leaves a man any better than it finds him. Everyone in this room has got wounds. You got things that left you spiritually broken. Things that had you in a place in life where you thought there is no hope. God can't forgive me. Or maybe you thought I just can't get back up one more time. Aren't you glad that when you were wounded, someone helped you? You know why we need this? Because the world is imperfect. And the world is constantly breaking people down. The Bible says so much about thieves, it talks about the main one, the devil himself, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This man, the Bible says, fell among thieves. You know what that means? It wasn't planned. Like the prodigal son, I've got my idea about how life's going to be. Listen, I even see that with Christian kids that are raised in church. I just kind of wonder what's out there. You get a small taste of it, you're like, okay, no thanks, if you're smart. And if you're not, you get trapped in something for the next 20 years of your life. You're fighting and clawing to get out of that mess. Why? Because sin does not leave you better than it finds you. 
You know why we need a church? Because people come in here wounded every Sunday and every Wednesday, and by the grace of God, the word of God goes out, and it ministers to them, and the fellowship of God's people ministers to them. You cannot do without this place. I cannot do without this place. Why? I'm wounded, and so are you. Some of those wounds can be seen, and some can't. And this is how they come. They come wounded. I remember a couple years ago, Miss Anita coming to church. Miss Anita, I'm not trying to pick on you, but uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad your sister drug you to church. And uh, I remember seeing you guys, you were much smaller. <laughs> they say you're not supposed to pick people that aren't here, but man, Isaac with that big old mop top thing. That's funny. You can laugh. That's good. <laughs> I, I remember little pudgy Isaac with his mop top, and I, I remember going to their house. I remember Anita saying, I, I don't think my kids are safe. I remember sitting down with her kids and Isaac and Leonard and Ariana getting saved. And that was awesome. And what God's done in their lives since then is amazing. I don't want to steal all of her thunder, but she'll tell you herself, struggled with alcohol for years. God gave her the victory. I don't think I'm putting words in her mouth by saying that would not have been the case without the local church. Why? Because people have wounds and people are broken and they need to be be restored and they need to be strengthened. They need to be encouraged. And then one day you invite your friend from school or the... Soccer kid, I call them the soccer boys. Where are you soccer boys at? Don't, don't be quiet. And ch- there you are. There's, there's one. The other one's in a flannel here somewhere. Somewhere, Alex. Is he? Okay, all right. And then there's that one right there. And I remember them getting invited to church, and I remember talking to them like, hey, guys, so you got questions? Yeah, you know, let's go downstairs and talk. And, of course, they're looking at me like, like Mom, please don't leave us. <laughs> Some stranger wants us to go downstairs. This does not sound good. Can we leave? And, and then... And then they got saved. And then not that long ago, he brings his friend Amelia and she gets saved. Glad you're here, Amelia. And you know why? Because there's a place to bring them. I'm sorry, guys. Watching videos online ain't church. God never designed it that way. I'm thankful that we can do it when we're sick. I'm thankful that when, you know, the... The, the world was just bearing down on us and there's an outbreak and they're telling you to stay. Okay, fine, but man, I tell you what, there is nothing like coming and assembling and watching the tears roll down and watching hearts get tenderized. Come on, let's be honest. That doesn't happen when you're sitting at home with your hot cocoa and your footy pajamas watching a video. You get up five times to check on the dog or the kids or whatever, God knows what, and you're halfway out of it, and then when you come back, like, well, was, you know, thumbs up. I did my job for the day, you know, and, and so there we go. That's not the same as coming and getting ministered to. Do you know why you need it? Because you're broken. Who you are to tell me I'm broken? I'm broken too. There are things that I wish I had never done. Sin is awful. Sin brings guilt. There's a, there's a price tag for sin. But I am so thankful that I can come to a place where it doesn't matter what I've done before. No one's looking me up and down. 
you know? Just glad to see you, brother. Glad to see you, sister. When these young people aren't here and I miss them, I'll text them, hey, didn't see you tonight. Sometimes I probably annoy the you-know-what out of them. <laughs> but I love them. You know, I know, I know we need this. I know we need this. Can I say this thirdly? We still need the end because religion doesn't meet the need. The priest goes by and he, he says, well, you know, I'll pray for you. <laughs> right? I mean, he doesn't help the guy. Don't you love that whenever you're struggling and, you know, someone's like, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'm like, well, I could use five bucks right now. You want to give me five bucks and pray for your own later? I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, here's the priest and he walks by and I don't know what he does, but he doesn't help the man. He walks by on the other side. And then that Levite shows up. You say, what is that? He's a picture of the law. You know what this is? This is a reminder that religion doesn't do it. I'm so glad. And poor Brother Jose, he's not feeling well. He's sick, Brother Jose Espinoza. But man, I'm glad just a, a couple weeks ago, he brought his friend Jimmy, and his friend Jimmy was religious, but he didn't know what it meant to be saved. I'm glad Jimmy got saved. You know why that's awesome? Because what you see all the time and everywhere you look in the world is that man is intrinsically religious. You don't get rid of religion because you get rid of, the, of God. You know that, right? You get rid of God, now the religion is global warming. There's a religion out there for everybody. Some people's religion is my Second Amendment rights. Listen, I'm glad I got them, thankful for it. I'll practice it, all that kind of stuff. But man, I'll tell you what, that everyone's got a God. If, if everyone's going to have a religion, even if you get rid of God. You know what, you know what I, I understand about the human mind? You need something to worship. You need something that you look at the world and you go, man, there's something bigger than me. And you know what God does? God shows you, hey, here's religion, here's Cain, and here's my son, Jesus Christ. You know what the church is here for? It's here to remind the world religion doesn't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Will not work. The danger is that religion appears to make bad men good, but what it actually does is it makes bad men appear to be good. The heart is unchanged without Jesus Christ. Religion doesn't meet the need. Let me ask you a question. How many of you were religious before you found Jesus Christ? I was. I was. Remember when Dave and Ederlin came to church? And Ederlin, I wish Dave was here. I could pick on him in person. But I remember Dave. You guys, you don't meet Dave. You experience Dave. Amen. I met Dave, he's just like, he's all about it. He's, man, we're best friends from day one, you know? And, and I was like, hey, man, how'd you find church? Well, I was watching these YouTube videos by this guy named Steve Anderson. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to go to it, but that guy's kind of a wackadoo. And so I'm thinking to myself, red flag, red flag, red flag. You know, I'm thinking, man, this guy's going to cause so much trouble in our church. But I knew right away, I mean, at the same time, he's got an excellent spirit. So I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what is going on right now? I'm so glad Dave and Ederlin came. Amen. I'm so glad they joined. You know what? That wasn't the end. Dave brought his friend Jose. And Jose got saved and his wife got saved. And Cristiano is going to be raised in a Christian home with the Bible. You know why? Because someone came to the end and brought someone else. You know what I can say about Jose? All, good, all, all joking aside, he was a good man. He's a good religious man. 
went to Jesuit high school, but didn't know what salvation meant. Religion doesn't do it. I'll never forget when, I don't know, how many months was pr- were the boys living with us when he got the big old thing on his head? Yeah. Oh, she's like, oh no, it was weeks. <laughs> she, grandma's laughing. She's like, yep. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I did that for a couple of years. Your turn now. <laughs> a couple weeks, Preston was at her house, and I'll never forget, man, the bump on the wall. God knows, I think you may have been involved in this. So, just a blessing to have our firstborn child. I don't know, man. I love Ariana, but. She crossed into Colorado airspace and Bella's car broke down. There's something about <laughs> weird things happening when she's around. And this, they're playing in the room. This picture falls on Preston's head, leaves this ginormous. I mean, it was like this flap of skin on his head and blood's everywhere. Do you know what I did not say? I did not say, we need to investigate this room. And we need, I just said, we need to get him to a doctor. It, it, I remember one time we got on a date after we hadn't been on a date for a long time. We were sitting down at Village Inn. I think you were there that day too. <laughs> and Emma's like, watch this. Whee! Breaks her arm. And everybody was like, I'm not sure if it's broken. We're like, show us on FaceTime. I was like, that's broke. You know what I didn't do? I didn't say, how could this happen? I said, let's get her to a doctor. Listen, another time, yet another time. This time, I don't think you were around. Ariana, you're off the hook this time. This time, you were at Texas Roadhouse with your friends. And boy, he was, you know, kind of showing them all kinds of tricks. Let me show you this, let me show you that. And we just jumped on this park bench, and it left, I mean, it looked like it was clean down. The, the doctors, the ER people were like, man, this is bad. I mean, these are people that patch up gang fights. Like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I'm like, this is not good. There would be a time later to rebuke him for what he did wrong. You know what all that mattered right then? I need to get you to a doctor. Do you realize when people come in broken and wounded, you shouldn't go, you know what your problem is? You're just addicted to stuff, and you're an idiot. <laughs> you know what they need when they come in? Glad you're here. Been praying for you. Miss you. What do you need? I don't want to steal too much of it because I'm going to show you in a moment. But you know what Miss Nancy said in her testimony? This woman in the church just hugged me. She didn't know who I was. You don't know what's going on in people's lives when they show up. Some people, they have it all together and they don't. Religion can't do it. Religion never has been able to do it. But Jesus can. And he'll use his church to do it. You know what the Bible says over and over and over? He was moved with compassion. 
He was moved with compassion. I have compassion on the multitude. He was moved with compassion. That was also had compassion. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Jesus moved with compassion. You know, I see over and over and over in the scriptures, in the gospels, is I see my Savior has compassion and he's constantly trying to bring in those that are wounded and those that are broken and those that need restoration. But you know, I, I fail to see over and over in the gospels. I fail to find any reference to the disciples having that level of compassion. When they themselves, their lives were aimless and and they were purposeless and they were wandering in this world until they met Jesus the Savior. God help us that we don't become like the disciples. I know so much Bible. I know the mysteries. I know this. I'm raising a Christian home. I've got it. I know what's going on. I know what their problem is. You know too much and you don't care enough. I believe I went to maybe the best Bible school in America. I'm thankful for that. I'll argue that. I guess everyone ought to. But the longer I do this, the more I realize it doesn't matter how much you know if you're not willing to care. Chicago's been a mess for a long time. Not a political statement that I'm about to make. It's just a reality. Back in the 90s, there's a story about a young man named Christopher Searcy. He's playing basketball with his friends. South side of Chicago. As he's playing ball, a group of young men approach him and start, you know, young men talking smack, you know, and all that. And one young man pulls out a gun and shoots Christopher right there, point blank. And they take off. Because, you know, that's what real men do. They shoot people and run. And there lies that young man and his friends are weeping and they're trying to pick him up and trying to do something with him. And they ran as far as they got to about 35 feet from within the hospital. And they were scared to carry him any further because of how he was aspirating and they couldn't move him. And they finally found a place. They went inside. The, listen to me. They went inside the hospital. And the hospital said, our policy is if they can't get in the door, we can't go get them. That should bother you. They found two policemen. Those policemen went inside the hospital and said, can we get a gurney? Can we? Nope, our policy is we can't. Finally, the policeman had enough. He says, you're stupid. I'm going to grab, I don't care what you do. I got the gun and the handcuffs. I'm not going to listen to you. He grabs a wheelchair, runs out, grabs that boy, rushes him into the ER, and for 90 minutes they proceed to work on him, but it was too late. Listen to me. He got within 35 feet of the hospital couldn't make it in on his own. You know why? He needed some help. You know what religion can't do? It can't help you. But Jesus can. That, that, that lieutenant from that situation, years later when they're talking to him, Lieutenant James Marr, he said this to the Chicago Tribune, these four words, they kind of plagued me. They simply ignored us. And all I can think of is, how, how often churches can become so overly religious and stuck on themselves and self-centered to the point where the people are within 35 feet. God knows there's someone living in the tree, in a tent out there. And look, I'm not saying that we want, you say, I don't want homeless people. Fine, Get, you know what, call a place. But in the meantime, can you tell them the gospel? Can you tell them about Jesus Christ? Within 35 feet of a church, would anybody go talk to them? I don't want to get dirty. Well, you know what, I'm glad God got dirty for me. 
You know what religion can't do? Religion can't do that. You know why? It takes compassion. Religion is lifeless and cold. Religion's willing to point out, you're, sorry, you're outside. But compassion goes a little bit further. Look back at our story. Look at Luke. Luke chapter 10. There have been times where I've gone home and I said, Lord, how do I make people care? And the thing is, you can't, you can't make people care. They either want to or they don't. Oh, and I wonder how many people would walk by and say we simply ignored them. We're too busy. In Luke chapter 10, at the end of verse 35, the Samaritan pronounces something I think is quite profound. And he says to the innkeeper, to the host, that's you. The inn is the church. He says to you as the host, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more. That's why some people don't want to be committed to a church. It costs something. Ah, time. Ah, the price of gas. Come on, can I get a witness? Oh, man, this. Oh, you want me to be committed to that? I've got this and i got that. Yeah, but what is central to God? Whatever you spaces, whatever thou spendest more, when I come again. I am so glad he's coming back. I'm so glad he didn't leave us to ourselves. I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't like, all right, good luck, guys. Figure it out. We'll see you later. He said this, I'm leaving someone in your care, and when I come back, whatever you've invested, I will repay you. That's a promise from God. You know why you ought to care about this? It gives you a purpose. What are you going to do with your life? If you're a born-again child of God, what are you going to do to change the world? I mean, listen, you get rid of the Bible, it's Save the Manatees. When I was in the 80s, it was Save the Manatees. That's when I was a kid in elementary school. Anybody remember that in the 80s? Anybody remember that? And I remember taking money to school for the manatees. Am I saying that's evil or bad? No. But let me tell you something. You get rid of the idea of investing in something that matters for souls for eternity, your money and your time and your mind will go somewhere. Whatever thou spendest more. Christian, can I say is you have a purpose here. You have a place. Well, I'm not teaching in class. You know what? You just being here does something for people around you. I'm serious. Listen, last week, due to sickness and a lot of people traveling, it was kind of empty in here. Kind of, right? All right, those, there's weeks like that in church. That's life. But let me tell you something right now. Everyone's looking around going, what happened? I, someone just, was it you? Well, I think you maybe, yeah, I think he was the one that opened his mouth and went down and goes, Pastor, I left. Everyone was here. I came back and they're gone. What did you do? I love when I get blamed. No one's ever said, Pastor, we doubled from last week. Great job. They're always like, they left. You know what you do? <laughs> Probably more fitting and more realistic, I'm sure. But you know what you have here? You have a purpose. You have a place. The Bible says we're to be united, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
This is a place of growth, a place of unity, a place of purpose, and a place of bettering. I can tell you this, I'm better for having been here. Let me close with this thought. Why do we still need this after 2,000 years? Because it's the place where you received a promised reward, and we just read about it. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Can, can I point out to you, look if you would at verse number 35. I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, 35. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. You know what two pence is? It's about two days wages for a soldier. And in God's economy, it's been about two days so far, 2,000 years. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you exactly what you need. I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to give you the scriptures. I'm going to give you the church. I'm going to give you exactly what you need so that whenever I come back, you can have something to show for it. But the, re- the, way, the place that I'm going to do all this work in is not just some willy-nilly thing of your own mind. It will not be something you invent. It'll be the place that I call home. It's my inn. It's my church. This is home. This is where God says, look, if you have your eyes set on here, I'll have a reward for you. I don't know when he's coming back. People ask me all the time, are you one of those that's going to date the rapture? Dude, I can't, I don't remember what I have going on this week. I'm not the guy that's like, I know the rapture. It's on April 10th night. You know, I don't, I have no clue. I don't know. Here's what I can tell you. Live as if he was coming back today. (laughs) That's how you ought to live. And if you're doing that, you know what you might be looking for? I want to look for a reward. I want something to show for my Christian life. God saved me. He let me suck his air and breathe his air and take up his sunshine and use his resources for 41 years on this planet. God help me if I don't have something to show for it at the judgment seat of Christ. I want a reward. I remember reading about a story about a gardener in some mansion in Italy, northern Italy, and the guy kept the place immaculate. Oh, to have a gardener that does it for you, amen? Mm-hmm. Kept the place immaculate. And one day a reporter was there, kind of touring the property, and he says, so uh, why do you keep this place so nice? I don't see anyone here. And he said, well, the, the, the master's coming back. Well, is he coming back this week? And he said, no, not that I know of. Well, then why do you keep it like this? If he's not coming back this week, why does it matter? He goes, Because while he may not be coming back this week, I know he's coming back. He's coming back for you if you're saved. And you need to look at, he needs to look at what you did with his church. Were you casually connected? Was it kind of like a summer, you know when you're a teenager, the summer camp romances, you know, I love you, do you love me? (laughs) Back in my day, we didn't have texts and phones, so it was just, you know, writing letters, you know. I like your red hair. You're so pretty. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you write these letters back and forth, you know, and I'm not, this is the love of my life. And, you know, by August, you're like, what? what's your name? <laughs> hey, can I say this? That's not how you ought to treat God's house. Amen. Jesus and the church should not be your fallback plan. Amen. I've watched some people, man, when things are bad in their life, it's like, oh, I need, I need the church. When things are good, they're gone. Can I, can I encourage you to remember that this matters because it matters to God? That, that this matters because people are wounded. This matters because religion doesn't meet the need. And if you're lost without Jesus Christ, maybe you're a good religious person, but you never had your sins paid for. You're not sure that heaven is your home. Can I encourage you, please don't leave today without getting saved. 
we can open up a Bible. It'll cost you nothing. In 10 minutes, you can know what it means to be saved, have your sins free. All the guilt of the past released and placed on Jesus Christ and his righteousness placed on you. Man, you talk about a great deal. You can have that today. But if you're saved, this place matters because God gives you purpose and identity here. And he promised he's coming back. Amen. He said, you stay put and you take care of these people. Whatever you spend, I'll repay you. Oh, by the way, whatever you spend came from me anyways. I thought a lot about Miss Nancy's testimony. So in closing, I want to show you some of that. I want to remind you why we still need the end. Brother Ben, if you can. The phone rings, and there's this guy, he says, is this Nancy? And I'm like, yes, it is. And he says, hi, this is Albert. I have your dog, Coda. I said, what? I said, where are you? You know, the panic starts to set in. And he says, we're in a park in Aurora. He says, he's just running around. It's a busy street. And I said, please, please, please hold on to him. I said, I'm on my way. Um, and so I raced over here. I said, it'll be 30 minutes. I'm in Bennett, Colorado. I said, please wait for me. And so he did, and I came, and he bought him a toy and everything, and he was just playing with my dog. And so I thank him, and I apologize for being so hysterical. And then he texts me back, and you know, he says, God bless you. He says, if you don't have home church, he sends me the link to New Heights, and he says, this is my church. He said, the people there are wonderful. He said, I'd love it if you joined us. I knew that I was in a time in my life where I was lost. I was lost and I needed help. And I knew that I needed help. And I'd asked people that I thought were close to God. And I said, how did you do it? How can I get there? I need to be there. I need to find that peace. I need to find that healing. So I text Albert again, six months, six weeks later. And I said, um, does that invitation still stand to come to church? And he said, absolutely. And I'll never forget the message was on forgiveness. And so, you know, I'm sitting in the back by myself and I'm crying and crying and I'm like, that's what I needed to hear. That's where I need to be. How can I forgive? And so I'm walking out and one of the church ladies, she comes up to me and she says, that's just what you needed to hear, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it was. And she gave me the biggest hug. And like, to me, that surprised me because someone that doesn't know me, doesn't know what I've done, doesn't know what I've been through, sorry, for her to just accept me without knowing me and hug me when I needed it. I just, so she walks me over to pastor, and you know, pastor, pastor's always all about it. He says, um, 
you know, and we chat, and then uh, he was like, I'd love to show you um, how you can get saved, and so he does, and we go through the Bible, and like he tells me everything from the Bible, how to get saved, and what it means, um, because I had asked pastor before, like, am I worthy, and how do I know if I'm worthy, you know, and I want to walk that walk with God, I just don't know how to get there, and what if he doesn't forgive me for the things that I've done? And Pastor, like, he read from the Bible, and he was like, God forgives you. And so that day, August 1st, I got saved. And one of my kids was like, um, well, it would have been nice to be there. And I was like, it doesn't, it's not something that you plan, you know? And that's just how. I love the fact that her kids were like, would have been nice to be there, Mom. I'm going to throw this back on the kids. Why weren't you here? <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll, we'll watch the rest of the video tomorrow night, but can I, can I just say this in closing today? We still need some innkeepers. We still need some people that will keep the lights on. Are you willing to be one of them? Let's all stand and have your head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for moving in this place today, God. I pray that you would, Lord, help us to be committed, help us to renew our commitment, Lord, not just to you, but to one another, Lord, and to express, Lord, that this is, our, this is the last stand, Lord, the last place on earth where people can find truth and they can be restored and they can be, Lord, uh, uh, given a second chance, Lord, not because we save them, because you save them, but, Lord, to having that spiritual rehabilitation, having that, that community, having that, Lord, that, that place of, of empathy and compassion and love, that's just missing from a dark and lonely, cold world. God, we thank you for the church. Sorry we take it for granted way too often. Sorry we're just casual about it, Lord. And instead of being deeply connected and intimately, Lord, grounded in it, Lord, help us to quit finding fault with it and start falling in love with it. Lord, help us to quit, Lord, uh, uh, criticizing it. And Lord, start embracing what you've given us and be thankful for it. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that isn't saved, they get saved today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can I encourage you, if you're a born-again child of God, to consider renewing your commitment as an innkeeper here. I'm a member of this church, but God, I, I don't want to... I don't want to do this just out of religion. I don't want to do this just out of habit. Lord, I want to do this because I love this. I love what you're doing. I love my church. The altar's open. I encourage you to take advantage of it. Maybe just talk to the Lord and say, God, thank you for bringing me here. Lord, thank you for working in my life. Lord, thank you for reviving some things in my life. God, thank you for awaking my conscience. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're saved and you're praying about becoming a part of this church. We'd love to talk about that. Maybe you're saved and God's telling you, hey, I, I want you to follow me in baptism. Maybe you're saved and the Lord's saying, I want you to go out and bring someone in. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm real concerned for some of you that have been around for a while that you don't just get 
calloused and do what you're doing out of religious duty, but rather you let your heart be tender and that you love what God's doing here and that you stay thankful for what God's doing. I don't want to ever get moved myself. It's easy. It's easy to be religious. God help us. If you've never been saved with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved, I oftentimes will ask this question. If you're here and you know you're, if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, you know that Jesus is your Savior, you know that you've asked him to save you, hands will oftentimes go up all over the room. And then I'll ask this question. If you're here and you could not raise your hand, if you're here and you're not sure you're saved, or you're here and you know that you're not saved, would you be willing at least to maybe, I won't point you out, but just look in my direction. I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, I'd like to be able to pray for you. And I'd like to invite you even after this invitation is over. Just because the piano gets done here in a moment doesn't mean the invitation's over. If you're not saved, I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can be saved today. <laughs> As Miss Nancy put it, I'm all about it. <laughs> I want you to get saved. I primarily preach to save people, but can I say this? If you're lost and you've never been born again, what you need more than anything else is to let the Lord Jesus minister to you and take all that guilt and all that dirt and all that old life off and give you new life. If you're here and you're lost, I didn't say bad. I didn't say like, oh, I've never been to church. No, no, you might be real religious, but you've never been born again. I encourage you. Come talk to me. Come talk to someone that can open up the Bible after church and show you how to be saved. Thank you for coming today. I pray the Lord spoke to you. I pray maybe he just reminded all of us why this place matters so much. As far as the Lord is concerned, it's the most important place on the earth. And I pray that we'd see it that way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Everyone's invited to our place, 3.30. Love to have you out there. If you get there a little late, that's all right. We still want you to come. Come anyways. 3.30 will kick off. Uh, I'd encourage you, uh, find a parking spot, head right to the backyard, get your crock pot out there. We'll have extension cords and all that good stuff. Uh, let the little ones just run around for a little bit, uh, and we'll get things, try to get things kicked off as close to 3.30 as possible. Look forward to having you. Looking forward to the fellowship, and uh, pray that you got something from the Lord today. Amen. Hope you love your church. I love you guys. I mean that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Michael way back there if you'd close us out in a word of prayer, sir.